You're listening to Eureka on Monocle Radio, brought to you by the team behind The Entrepreneurs, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies, and fresh ideas in global business. I'm Tom Edwards. In the 2010s, co-working spaces like WeWork and Second Home took capital cities across the world by storm. But where can the fast-growing number of visual and audio content creators go to access the same kind of flexible working today? This is where Cube steps in. The London-based members-only studios promise high-spec spaces and a real sense of community for music producers, podcasters and video content creators across the city. Monocle's Paige Reynolds went along for a tour of Cube's East London space to find out more. I'm Amin, co-founder and CEO of Cube. I'm Nick, co-founder and chief creative officer at Cube. It's a mild autumn day in London when Cube founders Armin Hamziampour and Nicholas Schoeniger meet me outside one of their three London-based sites. Founded in 2020, these community-led studio spaces started life to the west of the city in the movie studio district of Park Royal, but today I've come to Cube East, their Canary Wharf-based site that's part of a new development aiming to breathe creative life into what's long been the haunt of the leather briefcase-swinging corporate world. So how precisely does Cube work? Here's Armin. I think the simple way to think of it is a, a members club for creators. So that can be across music, video, podcast. The concept is you pay a monthly subscription anywhere from £90 a month all the way up to £1,000 a month and you get a certain amount of hours a month of studio time, which gives you access to multiple sites, 70 studios across the city currently. If it's two in the morning and you want to record a podcast, you want to mix a song, you want to edit a video, you just go on the app, you book your studio, swipe in, swipe out. The, the problem we were trying to solve, as well as having flexible and affordable studio space, was just to be around our peers. And that's so, so important when you're making music or making any kind of content. Not just anyone, but people who are like-minded, who are really passionate about what they're doing. Amazing. Well, maybe we should go inside because that community is it's quite buzzing right now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we've got a writing camp here this morning, a Music Producer Guild, which is a really exciting one particularly focused on women in music. So it's for actually Mothers in Music, which is a great initiative. So we're really proud to, to host that today. So this is the members' bar and cafe, and people just hang out here? Yeah, okay. it's kind of like the melting pot for the community. So we have a bar in the evenings and a cafe. We also throw events. We let members throw events as well. So you can see like in a morning like this, it's really just a place to chill and like speak about what you've been making. And, that time in between sessions is really when like the interesting stuff happens. Amazing. So should we go and have a look at the studios? Up just one flight of stairs, we find the 24 studios that comprise Cube East. As well as video content creation studios, veritable one-stop shops for YouTubers with high-spec equipment and changeable decor, we also find DJ practice rooms, rehearsal rooms and production studios for artists and bands to unleash the loud. We start our tour at Cube East's flagship recording studio. But you'll see in a moment, the beauty of it has got a lot of natural daylight, which is quite a rarity for studios. The two sites, even though they're in very different like, spaces, feel very, very similar. Like everything from the kind of interiors, the walls, the, the, the colouring, the smells. We've kind of kept a lot of consistency, even though this is in a new building, Canary Wharf, and the other site's in a warehouse. 
which I think is really important. Uh, so yeah, this kind of feels like a hotel room. <laughs> it's so nice. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And like you said, it's such a rarity to have big windows and loads of natural light. And yeah, and like overlooking the river, right? Like I think we're probably. I don't know, but definitely the only studio in, in the UK that, that overlooks the river, perhaps the world, but that, that might be a reach. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it's, yeah. like, it's stunning. And at night, yeah. this view is just, just incredible. Okay, so Nick, we're in Studio One, which is the, the main studio for QB, or at least the sort of biggest. Yeah. Talk me through the spec in this, in this room. Sure. So this, this is kind of more what you'd look, see in a traditional studio where it has got some what we call outboard and, and hardware um, as opposed to it being you know purely digital. It is focused around an Apple Mac with a Pro Tools system. So Avid Pro Tools is kind of the industry standard for recording. We have Neumann monitoring. So we've got Neumann 420 main monitors and subs and the smaller Neumann 150s. Also Neumann microphones, we're big fans of Neumann, German engineering kind of at its finest. And then we've got a selection of preamps and compressors ranging from Neve to Universal Audio to Manly. And that's kind of the crux of it really, you know, there's some kind of nice little toys and tools, but that generally is what people use. We have a variety of interfaces as well. Most of the sessions in here are vocal sessions, so we have a nice size vocal booth. The room is professionally treated and designed by by Monroe Acoustics, who are kind of renowned for Abbey Road and, and a number of other studio complexes. And this is the podcast studio, which yeah, we're we'll somewhat ironically we're not, not using, using it. Yeah, very <laughs> ironic. Yeah, just putting that disclaimer out there for anyone that is setting the audio quality. So this is the podcast studio. We have kind of two podcast studios or rooms that can be used for podcasting. This is a more kind of formal, you know, seated setting up to four guests. Everything's completely automated. So the idea is you walk in, you don't need any experience at all in podcasting. You don't need a technician. You walk in, you know, even if it's your first podcast, you walk in with some mates, you literally hit record on that button there. Um, you put the headphones on and, and you're away. If you want to record video, we also have video functionality. Um, so that will record you and your guests um, and we can send you a file with synced video and audio. Halfway through our tour, it's time to sit down and talk about the genesis of Cube and how the founders first got together. Armin kicks things off. God, it feels like a long, long time ago now. I think it was, it's probably been five years now. I was at the time working full-time as a music producer and songwriter, and I was renting a studio in North London that was next to Nick's studio. And at the time, Nick was, as well as creating his own music, building and letting out studios. He then built a small complex in West London. I was renting the studio from him and we just became friends and just started talking loads about music, about production. And I was really interested in what he was doing, which is just creating these these studios for, for different types of creators. We were really struggling because the basic studio model in any city in the world is it's normally two, three soundproof units under a shop somewhere in the middle of nowhere with a small kitchenette and like a tiny toilet, uh, which means there's no community and no hospitality and also you're spending a lot. So normally you would have to rent somewhere for a year. You put a deposit down, you've got to spend, you know, a thousand pound plus a month. And it's just not sustainable for creators. Even creators who are doing really well are just not willing to spend that much money. And as technology shifted, like you can make a number one single on your laptop in bed right people actually only need some people five hours a week five hours a month even and there's just no flexible way to access studios access community and, and kind of build your career we kind of were thinking really big and, and thought look what if we build a really huge space 
you know, 20, 30, 40 studios. Um, we make it really flexible so you can book by the hour on a membership, which allows us to price much more affordably, um, but also curate the community. So you make sure that every single person that you meet in the space is someone who's going to want to work with you and collaborate. It all sounds like a great idea and clearly one that's working. But what was the process of going from something hypothetical to the real deal? His neck. I think, first of all, it took a, a lot of blind faith. Had we have known how much work it was going to take, we probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, like a bit of naivety is probably a good thing sometimes when you're starting out, you know, in entrepreneurship. But, I mean, essentially, you know, we, we came up with the idea, so the concept was quite clear. We had a really clear vision of what we wanted to create. As I mean said, it was, you know, something that was flexible, something that was affordable, and also something that kind of, you know, embodied community and created, like, real value in, in ties and, and networking but not on a pretentious level, more kind of, you know, value-driven and talent-driven. So we kind of knew what we wanted to do. And then, you know, there was two things we needed, right? We needed a location and we needed money to, <laughs> to build it. So again, rather naively, after kind of shopping around, looking at various sites, we found this kind of old warehouse, which kind of had a really nice vibe that, that we liked. It was 16,000 square feet. We kind of had been speaking to architects and contractors and thought we had a rough idea of how much it was going to cost. So we kind of, you know, scrambled together a pitch deck. And I think before we'd even got the investment in, we kind of used our life savings to put a deposit down on the building and then figured out the way to get the money afterwards. So at that point, it was really too late to back out. And so you then decided, okay, we've done Park Royal, this is going well. Let's go to Canary Wharf. What what was the kind of what was the thinking, I guess, behind coming here? And do you think there's actually like a bit more of a creative community growing here? And is that important? Canary Wharf wasn't the obvious choice, and we were looking at you know the, the, the more obvious Hackneys and Shoreditches and that kind of thing. We were actually approached by the developers and by the people that were kind of place making the community. Um, they knew they needed something that was exciting and culturally relevant. Um, they wanted to have a very different vibe to Canary Wharf. So Wood Wharf is across the bridge it's kind of a lot of residential a lot of F&B we took some convincing at first you know we weren't we weren't that keen on it because we had the same you know predisposition that most people have where it's you know it's finance it's great etc but after a couple of visits we bought into the vision of what, what you know the guys were trying to create and we kind of had faith that they were able to do that and we relished the challenge of going in and actually being part of that we thought it was an exciting opportunity to really grow something change an area bring a creative vibe to Wood Wharf and I think we've, we've done reasonably well I think we're, we're fortunate as well that there is also a creative community already here there's a lot of YouTubers and content creators which is something we didn't find out until after we'd, we'd kind of moved in. But there is a creative community kind of around this area, so that's definitely helped as well. We're kind of try, just trying to find out where we can make the best possible product. And like what's, what's been amazing about Canary Wharf is it's just so well located. It means that people all over the city can get here quickly and it's super safe as well. And that's been a big part of our kind of ethos is we have loads of friends who are female producer songwriters. And if it's two in the morning and you want to go to a studio, you just can't in London. But at Cube in Canary Wharf, there's man security everywhere. It's one of the safest places in the city. And suddenly, you know, our female members feel super comfortable to come here at 2am. And I think that's been a massive win. So what's on the horizon for Cube's next chapter, particularly as another London-based site has just opened its doors? Yes, so Hackney Hackney Wick is, is different in a way that it's, it's quite a small site for us. So it's only five studios and 
it's kind of like a mini cube is the idea and it's much more functional so it doesn't have a, a bar or anything there's there's a communal space so you can kind of do a bit of co-working but it's very much you go in with your membership card you swipe in if you want to kind of keep your head down perhaps you, if you're one of the more introverted producers you can go in there get into a room same cube standard you know same level of equipment and you can get the job done and I think there's just such a big contingency of musicians in Hackney Wick it just made so much sense you know it's a bit of a test in terms of the model to see if we can run an unmanned site so it's very kind of self-service in, in many ways where you just swipe in get into the studio you know you book on the app so it's an interesting test for us and, and we're looking forward to seeing how it works and potentially roll out you know more if, if that kind of smaller self-service model works well in terms of the rate of, of expansion yeah for you guys are you just like we want to just keep going do you want to internationalize what's the what are the kind of next steps yeah i think without being too um, grandiose about it i think for us the vision has always been that you know in four or five years from now if you're 17 18 years old and you tell your parents you know i want to be a youtuber i want to be a twitch streamer i want to be a content creator i want to be a music producer it's going to be a totally legitimate career path and we're already seeing that much quicker than we'd even thought and when that happens like they can't go to a coffee shop they can't go to a we work there's no space for them really to work flexibly and so i think both of us really believe strongly someone needs to fill that void in every city in the world and that's what we're really trying to do we want to be that so that if you're in new york if you're in la if you're in berlin and you want to create high quality content it's just obvious to get a key membership so you're going global sure <laughs> For Monocle in Canary Wharf, I'm Paige Reynolds. Thanks, Paige. That was Armin Hamzianpour and Nicholas Schoeniger, the co-founders of Cube. You can learn more by heading to thecube.com. That's all for this episode of Eureka. We'll be back at the same time next week. And do look out for the main show, The Entrepreneurs, is published every Wednesday. Eureka was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. You can contact the team by emailing Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to Eureka. Eureka.